organized here a little bit. But today is uh, a bit of a hinge Sunday. You know, we're finished our, our Fruit of the Spirit series. And um, uh, so we're, we're kind of nested in between ending Fruit of the Spirit and Labor Day weekend. And uh, lots um, coming up. And as I mentioned, I've, I'm coming right up on six months as your transitional lead pastor, but I've, I've kind of dodged the preaching bullet, right? And um, a couple of you have asked me, when are you going to show up? But the most faithful person who's asked me is Kay, who every other week is, takes me in both hands, and she's like, Don, when are we going to hear you speak? And I'm like, well, I'm only half time. We've got this, we're blessed with this preaching teaching team. Tim's doing his piece, and I said, I've got lots of work to do. I don't, I don't, I don't need to be um, up there, but it's landed on uh, me today. So, uh, Kay, if you were watching this or you're watching it later, um, this one's for you, okay? <laughs> so, as uh, many of you know, um, I've been doing this transitional work since, um, since 2008, which is hard, hard for me to believe. Um, and uh, so that's 15 years. And there's, I think I did the math for the, when we were fir- I was first talking to your board and said, I think there's been a dozen of these transitions in, um, in those 15 years. It's 20 years if you count the church that I was on staff at in Victoria, which went into a massive transition in 2003. And um, that's kind of where I cut my teeth on, on transition. Lots of good help from Outreach Canada and a couple of church consultants. And, um, but every church's transition is unique. Uh, the reasons for their transition, the length of their transition, the degree or depth of challenge, uh, the congregation's preparedness for change, um, your leadership, um, like you name it, there's like there's multiple, multiple, multiple uh, reasons um, for the uniqueness of every church's or organization's or ministry's uh, transition. One constant, though, is that the uh, transitional leader often has an inordinate amount of clout. When you're uh, in this role, and Granville's been blessed with a strong. Uh, board that I've worked very closely with, but sometimes that's not the case. You show up and you're trying to um, help things. So that the transitional leader, transitional lead pastor needs to be careful. They need to be wise. They need to be a good listener. Um, they, need to, they need to be hearing from God. But also, they are a coach, you know, and a communicator in various ways, and hopefully an encourager. And that's that's part of the transitional role that I, I, uh, I love the most. My very first official transitional role was fall 2008 at Saanichton Bible Fellowship um, on the Saanich Peninsula. It's right about halfway between North Victoria and the ferries at Schwartz Bay and kind of tucked in there in Saanichton Village. And um, it's in our family of churches, uh, Vision Ministries. And, um, but about my third week in, uh, the guest speaker who was scheduled to preach, um, had to cancel last minute. I think it was health-related. Um, anyways, it, it, was, it was just like Saturday morning. Called in and says, I'm too sick to, to get there and to preach. So the chairman of the uh, elder board called me Saturday lunchtime and said, guess what, buddy? You're on tomorrow. Um, all the best. So that's not a lot of time to prepare. And, not, I, and I had had very little exposure to this church yet. Um, so Saturday evening, I made some notes and some observations about my first impressions 
of St. Edmund Bible Fellowship, what was working, what was broken. There was lots broken. Uh, where I saw health, and ironically, beautifully, the, the youth group was the, was the healthiest thing in that church, had, had survived all this transition. There was some dysfunction, but there was enough good things that I had seen to encourage them at least a little bit. And um, I, f- I felt like I, I kind of reached out you know, and put my hand under, under their chin, like they were, they were downcast and they were hurting, and just put my hand under their chin and just said, look up, look up, look around, and look in, and see what you're still doing that's kingdom-related. See the things that God is still stirring among you. Uh, you. They were a very evangelistic church. Their DNA was evangelism, and they felt they had kind of lost that, but they were hosting scout troops in their building and all kinds of things. But they had, they had kind of lost perspective. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. So that Sunday, September, end of September 2008, I had the opportunity just to lift their chins a little bit and help them um, look around. So Kevin, the chair, coined a term after that, and he would, once in a while through the next, like I was there two and a half years. That was a long turnaround. Um, once in a while, Kevin would determine, it's time for one of Don's fireside chats. And so um, there's been lots of variations on the fireside chats over the years. That Sunday, I literally just pulled up a stool and sat there and talked to the people of San Ashton Bible Fellowship about what I'd seen. And um, so today is going to be one of those, a variation on it, um, but hence the title, From Where I Sit. And I think I can probably actually do this. Hona's graphic was so great, I put it on the door of the office that I'm using, so literally from where I sit. And um, so as Susan prayed, kind of, a, kind of a retrospective a little bit, looking back on my time here and a little further back about your transition, and a look around at context and about our process these last months, and a little bit ahead at what's next. So this is an atypical Sunday morning at Granville, but it's an important one. We're, we're at the end of August, and there's new stuff rolling out, even as we've, we're dealing with um, memories and changes. So I'm going to ask for some audience assistance and participation for our scripture reading. So I need about a dozen of you to put your hands up. Okay, Claire? Yeah, yes, yes. Okay, just make your way forward here. There's a whole string of stuff in the front here, so... Uh, Elizabeth is going to come here. Don, you want to come? You're looking at me, Don. Um, Andrew, good. Thank you. Oh, yep, see? Catherine, she's already teed up. Um, just, you just need to grab one of these pieces of paper. Peter, that's good. We still need... Let's get some young people up here. Where did, where did Leon go? Uh, Vivian? Yep, yep, Simon. Okay. We need a little more from this side. This side's doing well. That side, you know... Okay, two more, three more, four more. Okay, Vivian. Okay, Dawn, there she is. Thank you. One more. Dawn's going to get Ephraim there. We need one more. There we go, Steve. Thank you. So you, got, you guys can hold up the, the name of the tribe of Israel that you have there. And right here, Steve, oops, somebody's got, somebody's got Issachar for Steve. Okay. So the context is 1 Chronicles 12. It's a time of political intrigue and high tension. 
uh, in Israel, uh, Saul's reign as king is coming to an end. And that had been predicted, you know, prophesied and predicted over the years. But David had to wait, and he was waiting until the timing was right. But God had made it clear David was going to be the king. Um, so there's lots and lots of lots going on here, but slowly but surely, people are rallying to um, to King David um, as, as he waited patiently for the Lord. <laughs> and but all this intrigue was going on and happening. So instead of me just reading this list of the tribes of Israel and who started to gather at Hebron uh, to support David, I'm I'm going to ask I'm asking these folks to do it. So. It's, so who's over there? Elizabeth first. Yep, just take the mic. Oh, I'm, yes, read 23 and 24, Elizabeth. Okay. And then we'll just hand the mic down here. So we'll go, we can go nice and slow. There's some Hebrew names in there. So no, just the highlighted part. Uh, the Hebrew names in there. Don't worry about it. Uh, we're a friendly crowd. So let's uh, go. So Elizabeth will kick us off. All right. Um, if you're following along, it's verse 23 in First Chronicles 12. 12. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. From Judah, carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. From Simeon, warriors ready for battle, 7,100. From Levi, 4,600, including Jehoiada, leader of the family of Aaron, with 3,700 men, and Zadok, a brave young warrior, with 22 officers from his family. From Benjamin, Saul's tribe, 3,000, most of whom had remained loyal to Saul's house until then. From Ephraim, brave warriors, famous in their own clans, 20,800. From half the tribe of Manasseh, designated by name to come and make David king, 18,000. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. From Zebulun. Experienced soldiers prepared for battle with every type of weapon to help David with undivided loyalty, 50,000. From Naphtali, 1,000 officers together with 37,000 men carrying shields and spears. From Dan, ready for battle, 28,600. From Asher, experienced soldiers prepared for battle, 40,000. And from the east of the Jordan, from Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, armed with every type of weapon, 120,000. Thank you, everyone. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> I, I was hoping that, that I had already nabbed a dozen of you um, before we started, but it was summer mode. Everybody was trickling in, so we had to go in the moment there. So Steve got Issachar right smack in the middle of the lineup here, in the middle of the tribes. And um, 
in the middle of that, of that list. Uh, but Issachar, that description is atypical. All, these, all this military might and all this war preparation and all these warriors and um, people teed up for battle coming, and yet uh, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Now, that's a, that's a plot twist in the middle of, uh, of the passage there and the description. So if you added up all those numbers in there, it's over 200,000 military people are showing up uh, in Hebron to support David as this political intrigue moves to him being crowned uh, king after being anointed all those years ahead of time. But only 200 chiefs of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. So I would like us to think about those leaders for a few moments. That small number, they understood the time, very unique times that they lived in, and they also knew what Israel should do. So I've always wondered about who these guys were. Like, who were these 200 chieftains? You know, were they philosophers, or maybe were they wise men, like the three wise men, or were they political advisors, consultants? Uh, were they academics, uh, reading and writing and researching, and they, they understood the times? What, what was the context? What was the milieu that they were in? So actually, the tribe of Issachar, um, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the 10 lost tribes, and in Jewish tradition, the descendants of Issachar were seen as being dominated by religious scholars, and they were influential in proselytism, so they were evangelists. And um, so on they went from, uh, from there, but they've got this unique context of, of leaders speaking into Israel's situation. So I almost always use a little devotional on this passage when I'm starting one of these transitional roles. And my very first staff meeting, um, we did that. We worked through that with, uh, with, with your staff like second, second Wednesday back in March um, or sometime. And so I've, I've used this a lot of times. I've had lots of transitions, as I said. Um, but often just, just kind of slowing down and thinking about those 200 chieftains who understood the times and knew what Israel should do helps set the tone. What are the leaders of any given organization, a parachurch or a nonprofit or a, um, a church, um, they have to understand the specific times that they're living and leading in and know what their people, what you, what the organization, what the ministry or the church should do. So I, um, I made a list earlier this week of things that... Um, that Granville's leadership, board and staff combined, uh, have understood and spoken into and led into um, this last few years. Granville Chapel's leadership wrestled with the COVID pandemic and figured out what to do. It wasn't perfect, but they, they wrestled with it and figured it out. Granville's leadership absorbed Andy's tragic diagnosis and they led through his final months. Granville's leadership assessed that the stalled vision and value process needed to be reactivating, reactivated, and they did it. 
Granville's leadership as staffing changed, established the interim leadership team of uh, Adid and Rebecca and Steve, um, and then proceeded to hire me as the transitional lead pastor. Granville's leadership initiated the lead pastor search process and the search team, which brought us Sam. Granville's leadership has these last months working closely with me, seeking to address our organizational realities, middle of 2023, uh, working on some functional and pragmatic solutions um, to ministry, uh, to set in directional, important directional priorities, um, and our process with Sam was, was, just, was just great. And we talked, search team talked with Sam about, okay, culturally and societally, there's big stuff coming at evangelical churches. And how is Granville going to wrestle with that? And how are we going to do that? Um, and we did it with when the, the search team brought Sam to the board. And then the night over here with the ministry leaders and with the staff. And so we're just setting some pretty important directional priorities there and identifying several critical theological and philosophical issues spinning out of that. How are we going to um, deal with these things? So that's quite a list. And um, your leadership hasn't been silent. Your leadership hasn't been passive. Your leadership hasn't been hands-off. Uh, they have been striving to understand the times and to know what Granville should do. So I'd like us to pause, though, for a minute. Uh, if, you, if you have your bulletin, I shouldn't have said anything about this pulpit because I feel like it's tipping on me. Um, take out your bulletin and look at the back. Um, it's right here. And um, knowing that we're on the doorstep of the anniversary of Andy's passing. And as I said, we would, we would have a chance to... Um, a moment to address that. And as I said, I asked Marlene how she felt we could handle it best, and I, uh, I just reiterated there that Granville's leadership had come to grips with Andy's diagnosis in the summer of 2021 in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but as Marlene said, there is no script on. There's no easy way to do this other than the one that the Holy Spirit has inspired. So I would like us to take a quiet moment, just a reflective moment, right now to remember Andy, to thank God for his life, for his ministry, his family, his influence, his care for not just this church, but for hundreds, probably thousands of people over, over the years, um, and to pray for his family. Tomorrow is going to be a difficult day for them uh, and for many, many other people in Andy's life and ministry that he's touched over the decades, countries, even continents, right? So let's do that. Just, let's just take a quiet moment and, and pray, reflect. Um, I've given you lots to think about, so let's do that quietly and then we'll move on.
So, Father, you know our hearts. You know our pain and our loss. You know our, our wonderful memories. Um, so as we've been doing all morning, uh, we continue to ask us to, to meet us where we're at and um, in, the, in the lows and in some of the encouraging moments. And um, we pray for Marlene and the family uh, tomorrow as this um, anniversary arrives and it's just so poignant that um, the loss. And so we, we want to ask for your help as we move through tomorrow. Amen. Okay, with Issachar's leaders as context or backdrop, I want to move through just some of my role this last uh, six months, and we can move a little faster through these next few minutes, but as I said, that retrospective, going back a little farther than my six months, a little bit of explanation about my time and energy, where my investments have been, uh, some observations, kind of as the new objective guy back in March, and uh, hopefully a little bit of encouragement as we turn the corner into uh, fall um, 2023. So, this uh, graphic captures the transitional leadership ministry model process. And I uh, presented it to the board probably late in January, early February maybe. Um, this came out of, uh, Steve keeps saying, this is Don's model. It's, it's actually Outreach Canada's model, which I've tweaked over the years. Um, but it's, the, it's how does an organization move through a significant uh, trans transition. And um, I've always wanted to use one of these, so I'm gonna try. So the, main, the important thing is the arc here. Like you, you're way over here, and uh, the smart churches ask for help out here, and then you move through, and there's some closure, and then the search process started, and a new pastor comes. But wrapped around all that, there's supported, surrounded in prayer, ongoing assessment, and then all this stuff has to happen, right? Pastoral care still needs to happen. Pastoral administration needs to happen. Preaching needs to happen. And we've been blessed. That big blue circle has been uh, amazing around here. And um, lots of this preaching teaching team is a, was a new thing officially. And um, the pastoral care team is a new thing officially. And um, so the other pieces here, vision renewal, uh, you guys had done that. Signed, sealed, delivered. Um, my take that spiritually and relationally, like Granville didn't need a lot of renewal here. We were pretty healthy on that front. And, uh, but structurally, just with all the change and being smaller and working through uh, stuff, that probably um, that was where some of the next investment was going to be kind of as we moved into April, um, maybe May. So this next one... Um, when, we, when Sam said yes, or when we were pretty sure he was going to say yes, I sent this to Steve, and I scribbled on here. I said, okay, Steve, the search is done. I'm shifting gears into kind of phase two of the transitional piece and this ongoing assessment, and I'm going to be working around down here trying to figure um, stuff out. And um, so we dug in there, and... Um, that's kind of been my emphasis, which fast-tracking the newsletter that came out Friday was kind of the result of figuring some of all that financial and staffing structures and, and stuff out. 
So I'd like to step back and tell you a, a story briefly um, about change spanning three decades you know, in my world. So uh, 1991, I got a really cool job with Overseas Missionary Fellowship in their new US headquarters in Denver. And um, my boss, and men who became my mentor, sent a couple of us young bucks out, I was probably 33 or something at the time, um, to a two-week intensive master's level course at Fuller Seminary. And the title of it was Change Dynamics, and I have the textbook from the prof right here. It's all beat up. Look, at I've used, I've used it so much. And, uh, um, but it was, it was change dynamics was kind of the buzzword for the 90s. A decade later, the leadership literature had shifted from change dynamics to change management. And we were, you know, academics and consultants were trying to figure out, you know, can you, can you manage change when it's coming at you? Um, another decade later, in um, 2011, ballpark in there, uh, a, a subtle, sort of subtle, but actually profound shift took place. And then, no, no, actually, we're going to talk about change leadership instead of change management. You can't actually manage change, but maybe you can lead it. And so that was a big thing for uh, a number of years. And then along came a psychologist with a very, very interesting personal story of loss and change and grief named William Bridges. And he put a twist on this whole change conversation. And um, not so much that... Uh, you could understand change dynamics or manage change or lead change, but that change itself is, it comes at us, it's external, but transitions are how we deal with the change, it's internal. And he wrote a book called Managing Transitions, Making the Most of Change. And I'm just going to try and pop this one up here. So he... It's not unlike the transitional leadership ministry model, moves through three stages, ending, oops, get this right, ending, losing, and letting go, the neutral zone, and then a new beginning. And there's different ways to picture and to understand this, but the, um, this time last year, Granville Chapel was right here. It probably backdates a number of months with Andy's diagnosis and then COVID and just lots going on. But we're just feeling just, just a maelstrom of, of emotion. So the, some change, how do we cope with this? You know, resistance to that, uncertainty and fear and emotional turmoil. Uh, then into that neutral zone where some of the change and stuff we had to do, uh, there's some resentment around that, anxiety about your role as the congregation or about Granville's role as a ministry in the city. Um, some of the, the changes that had to be made, you're skeptical about that. And then the third one, starting to emerge into acceptance, coming to accept the change. There's some energy. There's some openness to learning new things. And there's a new commitment to the, um, to the ministry or to the organization um, or where you're going from there. And... Um, Different ways to picture this, but those endings, like the, all those emotions, loss, anger, denial, confusion, frustration, you, you can probably imagine that. If you put yourself a year, two years back as COVID started, then the neutral zone, some excitement about turning a corner, but also some anxiety, uh, some creativity, some evasion, like what could we do, what should we do, and then those new beginnings of, some of you are just feeling relieved. Right? Like when I started in March, 
probably half a dozen people just said, oh, thank you. <laughs> Somebody said, and I said, well, you know, it's, it's temporary. But, um, but the uncertainty, the exploration, um, and the, uh, the commitment there. And uh, again, it's just, it's a human, it's, we're human, right? God, this is the way God made us. And so the, the endings and then the neutral in-between time and these new beginnings, um, lots and lots has been going on here. Personally, I've been super encouraged as to how the vast majority of you have, sometimes it's been baby steps, sometimes it's been embraced, sometimes it's been one step forward, two steps back, sometimes it's been two steps forward, one step back, um, moving through this. But um, here's the quote. It isn't the changes that do you in, it's the transitions. Change is not the same as transition. Change is external, it's coming at us. Transition is internal. How do we process that? And the, um, it's whitewater rapids, right? This last three years have been whitewater rapids for Granville. And, um, but the external stuff that came at you, but the internal processes that your board and other people, Jay Grinnett from Vision Ministries and other people, came alongside and, and helped work through that, um, that internal process. So, so you may be sitting there thinking, this thing really is tipping. Um, so you might be sitting there thinking, okay, Don, you, so you're, you're telling me, you're telling us, now you're telling us that this explains our last couple of years. <laughs> we should, maybe we should have done this sooner, but here we are today, and, um, and I'm losing my tech here. So we're coming out of an immense amount of change and into the last pieces of transition, and it's critical. Critical that we work our way through this, that we understand this, that we pray for decisions that are continuing to be made, um, and uh, um, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So there's this strange feeling of loss and acceptance, anticipation and moving towards it. And, it, and for, for Granville, it's all, it's all condensed in this, in the, it feels to me like this month. And I was, I was talking to, to Dan a couple times yesterday, but one time, Specifically, and and you know, I asked how how are you feeling, and um, he's actually doing remarkably well. But then he turned around and said, "How how are you feeling, Don? This has been kind of a crazy couple of weeks." And I said, "You know, there's I spent 20 years going back and forth on the ferry, so you do it enough times, you see you see things. And some of you may have experienced this, but the there's a point where the Fraser River, with all its silt and stuff, comes out into uh, Georgia Strait, and all that fresh salt water." you know, deep, deep blue, and they, they meet. And there's actually, you can actually see a dividing line. And uh, Dan's like, Don, put it up, put it up on the, put it up. I said, I think, it's, I think the, ser the sermon's busy enough. I won't do it, I'll just explain it. But you can Google it and you'll see it. And um, where it comes out, and there's all kinds of things that are happening scientifically, and there's this almost like a straight line of deep blue ocean water and this brown, silty Fraser water, salt and fresh and all kinds of stuff. But one time, I was on the ferry and it was windy and it was choppy and the tide was changing and that wasn't a straight line. It was, there was salt and silt and muddy stuff all mixed together kind of thing. And I said to Dan, I said, I feel like this last two weeks, I've been in the middle of that, the chop and the different 
colors and the mixture and the confusion and the uh, upside and the downsides of, um, of all that. So we just wanted to be honest today that, you know, as we're moving here, like Sunday the 10th, as Susan reminded us, is kickoff. We're going to celebrate a new thing for the fall. It's Sam's first Sunday, but only two weeks earlier today, we're, we're here with, with all this on our hearts um, and our minds. So Granville's been through a lot. As the, um, if I can go all the way back here. Granville's been through a lot. As the board newsletter stated, a staggering amount of change, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. However, for the most part, you have and are transitioning well. And I've been so encouraged to walk alongside you this last six months. So I want to close with a, an encouragement from one of Granville's elder state, statesmen. Uh, Peter Foggin is um, usually back there, and some, most of you will know him. But I don't know if, what I don't know is you, if you know if he's, in my books, he's one of Granville's chief encouragers. And he goes home on Sunday afternoon, and he writes a very detailed, specific email to everybody that he could figure out was involved in the service, from the kids to the coffee to, the, to everybody. And uh, he has the gift of encouragement. And he is in Iceland on a cruise with his wife, Beth, because Beth does all these travelogue things, right? And um, he got this email in Iceland, sitting on a cruise ship, you know, tapping into slow internet is what he said. But he wrote to Steve and the board, to Sam and I and Dan yesterday. And I asked him permission if I could share some of that with you this morning, maybe to help us. So I'll just read parts of it here. I read this afternoon your letter regarding staff changes at Granville Chapel. In some ways, it came as a surprise and a shock. However, it was no surprise to me that some changes were going to have to be made. I would like to thank you, all of you, for your faithfulness in prayerfully leading us as a congregation, not least in the matters of our financial responsibilities as a church, that we needed to move from 5.5 to 4.5 level of equivalent full-time staff has been, I think, a needed conclusion, but that the need to cut could only be under the circumstances the position of ministry operations pastor is understandable. However, no matter how necessary or logical a decision is, it will come as a shock. And then he talks about Dan and to Dan. And I'll skip a little bit of that because it's, it's kind of personal. But, oops, he ends, he puts a PS that he's writing from Iceland. Um, I expect to be home September 17th for the start of Sam's mini-series. He's going to preach the 17th, the 24th, and the 1st, and then we're going to go into an Old Testament series. I expect to be home physically September 17th and be able to join you, rejoin you and with our new lead pastor, Sam, in the beginning of this new phase of life for our church, namely Era 4. So that's an 85-year-old elder statesman, chief encourager writing to us, and I thought, that helped me immensely yesterday morning, and 
I think it helped the board getting that, and I thought it would it maybe help you, some of you doing that. So that's the end of my fireside chat, and um, I'm happy to talk to any of you about all those bits and pieces. You know, if you want to, that that book uh, by Bridges, uh, Managing Transitions, is brilliant. If you want to get a hold of it, it's a, it's a simple model, but it really helps if you're if you're working through change. Individually, personally, family, uh, work-wise, it's, it's very, very helpful to kind of understand some of those dynamics.